1: Alex, it's the holiday season. This episode that people are listening to—it's just one day after Christmas. We celebrate that. So we thought, as a special gift to the listeners, we'd do a little concept episode, a little uh, mini series, you could say. It's two episodes, a mini series. <laughs> right? I don't, I, yeah, I don't yeah really that's what know. I was going to say. <laughs> Should we turn this into like eight episodes? You know, an eight-episode groundbreaking season, limited TV. Everything's a limited series now. I know. This, this is my, this is my bucket This is my personal thing that I can't let go. Stop making well, limited series, make movies.
2: Well, so I think what you're saying is we should
1: have just made this one episode. <laughs> one, one long two hour and 40 minute episode. Right. Exactly. Uh, no, no, it's, it's two parts now, but who's to say that we can't continue this idea in the future. If people really like it, we're doing a special episode about what ifs, some of the biggest what ifs in baseball history. Now that could mean anything. What if XYZ didn't happen? What if XYZ did happen? What if Alex's close personal friend, John Fisher, sold the Oakland Athletics to the Tipping Pitches podcast? Many what-ifs exist in the baseball world. Now, we invited Grant Brisby, who you heard on our reaction pod a few days ago, to to come on and share what is a compelling what-if to him. And, uh, and then I shared what is a very compelling what-if to me in this episode. Next week, we will bring on another guest who will share their what-if, and Alex will share his. I'm really excited to hear what you come up with. Me um, too, honestly. <laughs> love to hear it. Um, Grant, Grant, was, Grant was great to talk to. He's someone that we've been circling and wanted to have on for a really long time and someone who obviously this concept fits really well with.
2: Yeah, and it's even a concept that I think he's explored kind of on his own um, he had a he had a great article exploring Buster Posey as a as a Tampa Bay Ray, and uh it gets pretty bleak down at the bottom <laughs> um so this one has a slightly lighter lighter tone it's uh It's also far weirder, so that's I think what excited me most about this
1: I'll say you know, I pitched this as what ifs in baseball history, but hypotheticals in baseball are kind of like what makes the world go around you know like i think of the sam miller article from espn like five or six years ago what if a game went 30 innings or however many innings he said what if a game went 50 i don't remember the actual number but uh, that that article was so uh formative for us because it was happening like early on like while we were in college maybe even before we were doing the podcast or i actually think we talked about it on the pod so it must have been when we were doing the podcast but that kind of thinking, that kind of writing, that kind of talking about the game where it's not just what happens inside of the lines. We can co- we can color outside the lines and we can talk about hypotheticals and be creative with it. Now, Grant chose something that is player-related, that is on-the-field related, but as you'll see in our segment, we we took it to um, far and wide places, I would say. Yeah. yeah. Um,
2: as far as the Middle East, you could say.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I chose something with baseball ownership. So, Uh, We don't need to belabor the point anymore. Uh, Why don't we just go and bring in Grant Brisby to talk about his biggest what if or one of his favorite what ifs in baseball history. But before we do that, I am Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Baisley. And you are listening to Tipping Pitches. Okay, Grant Brisby is back. Um, am I am I dreaming that we just recorded in a a segment about it does feel Carlos like we Correa just being him. on the New York yeah. Mets five minutes ago? Did that just happen?
0: Well, we did, and now it's outdated because by the time this airs, he will have resigned with the Twins. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please don't put that energy in the universe.
1: Sheesh! I already tweeted about buying a a black. Mets jersey with Carlos Correa's name on the back. We can't. We can't be doing that. Come on! Only one fan base is allowed to be hoodwinked, bamboozled, led astray, run amok. Um, proud to be proud to be covering that franchise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Grant, you're here to do a uh, sort of concept pod that we're we're working out here. So we wanted to talk to a couple people around the baseball world and talk about just huge what ifs in baseball history, and I'm leaving it general. Um, by design because I I wanted you to take it any direction that you could think of when you think of um, at the ringer we love to call these sliding doors moments Um, Mm -hmm. these what if questions like what if something else happened how different would the baseball timeline really be and of course when we thought about um, extreme hypotheticals and creative thinking on the baseball internet you were someone who came to mind and someone who was suggested by our listeners in the slack and so I I turned the question over to you, and I think that you came up with what is a a very juicy what-if. So
0: would you like to share your what-if with the listeners? Absolutely. Uh, We have to take the Wayback Machine all the way back to 1982. Uh, The Atlanta Braves, they actually, I went through every single draft. Uh, This was a few years ago, so it's not quite current, but I I still think it is. Every single draft in baseball, there's only one draft in which none of the players made the major leagues. One draft, and that's the 1981 Braves. When they drafted, they drafted 30-some-odd people. Uh, Not one of them made the major leagues. So they needed a little win when it came to their draft. And so in 1982, with their fourth-round pick, they selected a 6'10 left-handed pitcher out of Livermore High School in Livermore, California, Randy Johnson. And he didn't sign. He went to USC. But my what if is what if he signed with the Braves, got to work with Leo Mazzoni, got to be a part of that Braves rotation? I just want to peek a little peek at that alternate universe.
2: This, this hypothetical was so fascinating to me. And like single player hypotheticals are really interesting because it's easy to be like, oh, okay, yeah. like what if Randy Johnson was just on the Braves, right? But it's much deeper than that, right? Because there are, this has so many. Ripple effects, right? Randy Johnson doesn't end up going to the Mariners, which means their roster kind of construct looks uh completely different. You know, do the Braves end up signing um Greg Maddox, you know, in, in the 92 offseason, or do they say, hey, our rotation's set? We have our we have our big three and Johnson and Glavin and and Smoltz, right? I the more I dug into this rabbit hole, the, the deeper it just opened up, you know? I, I'm curious right. kind of, kind of what, you, what you found as you started to explore the ripples.
0: Well, first of all, Johnson already had one of the weirdest career arcs in baseball history. He was uh, lost... In his 20s, he was walking. Let's see, he walked 128 batters and 140 innings in double A. And he's 23. Like he's not uh, a puppy at that point. A 23 year old in double A shouldn't be walking 128 batters and 140 innings. And he didn't really establish himself as someone. Who could uh, be like that guy you trusted, that ace, until he's in his thirties? And you know, before that, he was always just this mercurial guy. Could strike him out, could walk. Uh, you know, he walked 152 batters in 1991 for the Mariners in 200 innings. That's wild. That is a wild season to watch. It's a wild player to watch. Uh, and what this idea presupposes is, what if the Braves could have fixed him earlier? What if? Uh, the Braves could have, if Leo Mazzoni, because this is before he was a pitching coach, uh, we would have had Randy Johnson in the minor leagues with Tom Glavin, perhaps, uh, and Leo Mazzoni as in instructionals, just uh, saying, okay, try this, do this. What about this? Can we get your muscle memory working here? Can we uh, apply this knowledge here? And what if In addition to having one of the greatest 30 to 45-year-old careers in baseball history, what if you can tack on another 10 years uh, uh, before that and you have just this incredible Hall of Fame career? Just It's already inner circle of the inner circles. You could tack on another 10 years of brilliance and maybe he's like the best pitcher of all time. Is it possible? I don't know how magical Leo Mazzoni is, but that's at least on the table. So Randy Johnson made his
1: MLB debut in 1988, I believe, was his first season that he made the majors for the Expos. Let me tell you a little bit about the 1988 Atlanta Braves. Final record, 54-106, and 106, finished sixth in the NL West. Now, I will note that Tom Glavin and John Smoltz did debut that year, or they were on the team that year. I don't, they weren't, they weren't quite, obviously, they were 20, both 21 years old. So I don't think, think that they were quite, they're fully formed selves. So you think, okay, maybe they're a team on the rise. They got these young pitchers coming up. Following year, 63 and 97. Year after that, 65 and 97. Not until 1991 do the Braves win 94 games and win the NL West and become the 1990s Braves that we know them to be. But my question to you, Grant, is knowing what we know about early career Randy Johnson and knowing what we know about how much he struggled, how terrible his command was, On these shitty teams, these shitty late 80s Braves teams, do you think he sticks in the rotation or do you think he's bad enough? He's getting enough chances, but he's still really bad at the major league level that they just move on from him.
0: Yeah, it's, it is interesting because the Braves, their problem that year wasn't necessarily uh, a god awful rotation. You had Smoltz, you had Glavin. Uh, I'm looking at now, you had Pete Smith is 23 and he's, you know, you have some hope for him in the future. And Derek Lilliquist, he's 23 and he's about a league average pitcher. So maybe if he comes up and he just stinks, uh, he isn't given the, the fair shot. But I, think when you're talking about Randy Johnson, it was very clear from the very beginning that he was a baseball unicorn, that this is, if you're going to take a shot and you are a bad team, this is the shot to take the wild half court shot. This is a six, 10 left-hander who has an arm from the gods and the mechanics from, you know, Hades. Like it's just the combination of if this one weird trick works, you have What you saw, you have an inner circle Hall of Famer. That's how talented he was. So I don't think one bad season uh, would have been enough to give up on him. The dream was that real and that uh, tangible. And uh, the Mariners, I mean, he's walking. And the funny thing about this is that when he's walking 150 guys in 200 innings, you know he's throwing 300 pitches a game. I mean, that, that, that might be hyperbolic, <laughs> yeah. but he, you know, we don't have the official pitch counts from back then, but you know, he's not just cruising on 90 pitches into the seventh inning that they were just <laughs> grinding him and he still somehow made it out of that. So uh, I think the Braves would have given him a very long leash, just like the Mariners did. Uh, but could they have improved that command better? I don't, you know, I don't know who the pitching coach was for the 1989 Mariners, or if he was a secret genius too. But you have to wonder, like, could Leo Mazzoni have you know X, Y, and Z, and poof, he's fixed. Yeah. Are you you mean to tell me
1: that you did not go back and watch every single Randy Johnson start and keep keep pitch counts just for this
0: exercise? That that's not something <laughs> that you you came with that research. That sounds like something that you totally would have done, or anyone totally would have done like April 29th, 2020. <laughs> like, exactly no what we were doing actually yeah, at that exact just, moment. <laughs> just going back and going, oh, I'm just mainline in 1989, Randy Johnson starts. Let's go. Alex, what
1: do you think that Randy Johnson means to the baseball culture? Let's not, not just his baseball reference page, not just his Cy Youngs, not just his strikeout totals, but how is he culturally different? And how is he? What is his cultural significance if he's part of the 1990s Braves instead of the
2: one of the more likable teams of the 1990s in the Mariners? It's so hard to say, right? Does being kind of in that environment sand down his edges a little bit? Right? Does it kind of give him that cleaner delivery? you know does he does he uh never end up hitting a bird with a pitch right <laughs> which was which was a very pivotal moment for his career it's it um it it spawned the the kind of graphic design for his uh for his photography career that he that he has now right True. so like a, a lot kind of changes if he's out of the environment that we that we know him in but i still think he's kind of I mean, again, like, like Grant said, he is this sort of unicorn that stands out, I think, even if he was trying to blend in. I, it's hard to see him as uh, being anything
0: else than still kind of being that, that weirdo out there, that 6'10 weirdo out there on the mound. I would say, you know, once I wrote uh, an article about uh, Greg Maddox versus Randy Johnson, insofar as if you could go back in time and put one of these players on your team, which one is it? And uh, I loved it because it was, I love the idea because it was, uh, they're very similar pitchers when it comes to career stats. If you are going uh, based on wins, ERA, games, pitch, all that stuff, really kind of creepily similar war is right up there, but they did it so differently you have Maddox is the command guy he's the artisan he's the guy in his 20s who's doing this stuff and he's having the the two-hour games he's uh, he's just being brilliant so the Braves had a game that started at 7.05 local time and he had a complete game before sundown that is hilarious that is a different kind of pitcher and then you have Johnson who's just driving you nuts for a decade like gosh this guy is hard to watch he looks like he could be something but get him off of my TV. And then poof, he is dominant. He's power. He's coming from the left side. He's scaring hitters. They're making fools out of themselves on purpose in national all-star games. Like He is uh, just another just type of pitcher entirely, but they came to the same conclusion, at least when it comes to uh, overall stats. So which one would you have? And I think the right answer is, how about both on the same team? Like you have Maddox and Randy Johnson, and then oh, for good measure, Glavin and Smoltz. That would have been so cool uh, for anyone, even if you're not a Braves fan. You just gotta—it's like you gotta be impressed with how cool that would have been. It says a lot about the like you as a fan.
1: Which which type of pitcher specifically you prefer? Like hitters, you know. Like there's not really this like cultural debate between. I don't know, like Adam Dunn and Derek Jeter. Like, no one is like, I <laughs> aesthetically prefer the guy who strikes out 400 times than the guy who gets singles the other way, right? But there is sort of like that that difference, that cultural difference that you're alluding to between the type of pitcher who is like command soft contact versus just stuff, 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 stuff. And obviously Randy Johnson is the the tippy-top example of a guy who just gets by on overwhelming stuff. I mean... For me personally, this what if, juicy as it may be, I, I hate it. I hate it, Grant. I hate the idea <laughs> of Randy Johnson being on the Atlanta Braves, whom a franchise who I think is despicable and I hate a lot.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I was a Mets fan. Yeah, you're not going to be vibing with this. Uh I it, well this would have been back when the Giants were NL West rivals with the Braves. We're talking mm-hmm. uh, the Giants winning 103 games in 1993. Well, all of a sudden with Randy Johnson at, at his peak, the Braves just blow past the Giants and they win 113 and it's not even like a good pennant race so uh, yeah it would scare me too um but it's i just can't get it out of my head there are a lot of other ones there's uh, a mark mcguire got drafted by the expos uh bo jackson getting drafted out of high school by the yankees always fascinated me um but it's just the combination of a pitcher who needed the best possible coaching getting drafted by the team that ended up with the best possible coaching that combination is just magic to me
1: uh okay here's a final hypothetical with this with this what-if, do you think they move Randy Johnson to the closer role instead of John Smoltz? And then we take away that sort of dual part of, of John Smoltz's career where he pivoted to become one of the best closers in baseball
0: history halfway through. That is a good question. I think if I'm remembering correctly, I'm going to look up baseball reference and just vamp a little bit while this is going on. And yeah, they were doing that when Smoltz was coming back from, I think, Tommy John. So this was like an injury. So he made 29 starts in 1999 and then 2000 he's gone. And that he comes reinvented out of the miss as a great closer. And that part is cool. But I don't know if Johnson would have had the injury that would have precipitated that. I think the Braves were content to just let smolts (laughs) smolts do his thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think the injury affected that, but who knows? I mean, maybe they would have done it with Randy Johnson early. Maybe they would have just had this brain flash. Like maybe he's going to be that goose gossage kind of fireman, but we're going to throw him in there for two innings, three innings. And maybe that would have his career in a totally different way where we would have got to see less randy johnson which is not ideal
2: for better for worse the first thing i i thought about when thinking about this hypothetical was how does this impact how i interface with with john smoltz right which i think about probably (laughs) probably more than i should (laughs) and and what my what my head actually went to was right the the tigers trade john smoltz to the braves in in 87 right as they are i think trying to catch the blue jays in the uh, in the East. And I wondered, what if the Braves said, you know, we actually don't need another young arm. We have this Glavin <laughs> guy. We have this Johnson guy. You can hold on to Smoltz if that's who you're shopping around. Smoltz stays with the Tigers, obviously does not have that uh, development system. I, what is he, a four or five ERA guy? And he's, he never sniffs a Fox Sports booth? Like, I don't know. Ooh. Well,
0: actually, that's not so... Uh, I, I don't know, though. John,
1: John Smoltz spending the rest of his career in closer proximity to Jack Morris just makes him worse in the culture. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true.
0: So when when he's traded, let's see if there are any teammates that we know on the his Glens Falls Eastern League team. There is a... Uh, Doug Strange, there's Jeff Jones. Yeah, the Braves aren't going to want any of these guys. Kevin Ritz. Oh yeah, Kevin Ritz. The Kevin Ritz would have been a Hall of Famer. It would be Kevin Ritz in the booth. <laughs> Rocky's legend, Kevin Ritz. Sheesh. Oh my gosh. Anything else to say on your hypothetical, Grant? Before we pivot over to mine. Uh, you know, I'm not an especially religious man, but I I hope that the afterlife is uh, a peek into these universes. I think that would be <laughs> just a just a peek, man. Just I, let me read a few sporting news and then I'll be on my way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it. Okay, uh, my what if? Uh, maybe not surprisingly to the tipping pitches listeners, is ownership related. Um, mm-hmm. it is something that has come up in brief on the show. I, I believe, right, Alex? Mm-hmm. Um, my what if is what if. In 1990, when Joan Kroc, the then-owner of the San Diego Padres, who um, took over ownership of the team after her husband, Ray Kroc, famously the, the really nice, really cool guy who was the CEO of McDonald's. We love that guy. He was great. Just did a lot of good stuff for, this, for society and for the country at large. Really good guy. Um, Net positive. Net positive. What, if, what if Joan Kroc, his widow, who then became the owner of the Padres, what if she was allowed to give the team to the city of san diego which she did try to do uh joan crock proposed giving it to san diego for for free basically along with a hundred million dollars in in what amounts to i would call it seed funding to operate the franchise (laughs) it was blocked by the baseball the baseball owners committee um which was chaired i think rather interestingly by peter o'malley who was the son of walter o'malley famously the uh the dodgers owner who moved the Dodgers out of Brooklyn and sort of instituted the idea of a, a, an image of a modern baseball team in the mid the mid 20th century um San Diego mayor Maureen O'Connor I think put it put it quite wisely um, and I'm pulling from a from an LA Times article in 1990 an archived LA Times article um she said it would have been the coup of the century for San Diego so my what if is what if this actually happened and what if we had a team in Major League Baseball um a, a sport that is, uh, that has a, a monopoly exemption in the United States has long been an old boys club of billionaire owners who um, dictate many of the things about the fan experience of the game. What if it, one of those teams was just owned by a municipality? Now, we've talked a lot about municipal ownership on the show in the past. In the hypothetical, we've talked about what it might look like. We've compared it to the Green Bay Packers. We've compared it to European soccer clubs. And I think there's always a question of how would this function under American capitalism versus how it functions under sort of the European style of business. And I don't really know how it would have gone. Of course, it never got close. Like it, it got shut down so fast. Um, (laughs) But I wonder. I wonder from you guys, do you think that having one of the 30 teams owned by a city might have laid a groundwork? for this sort of thing to happen with any of the other teams? Or do you think it would have just been an aberration like the Packers?
0: I'm going to go with aberration. I'm just going to think because at some point the the teams got so valuable you were going to have fewer and fewer people in the world. I'm not just talking about fewer and fewer people with the position to own a team, but who would consider giving up an asset that valuable to a municipality uh or maybe would have led to the nationalization of sports, which would be <laughs> rad. That would be but I don't know. I think it would have been a one-off though. I that's my guess.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think so, too. Um, I, O'Malley has this really great quote in that LA Times article because he's asked about the potential sale. And O'Malley, who is the chair of the committee uh, making this decision, says, It sounds impractical, impractical, but I haven't really thought it through. <laughs> like, oh, okay, that's good to, good to know that you're giving this uh, the due that it deserves. This article
1: is a real goldmine. Like, we don't do journalism like this anymore. They,
2: really they tried to reach out to the city manager,
1: John Lockwood, who I guess would be the person sort of putting one of a plan like this to effect, and it says lockwood is on vacation and unavailable for comment but (laughs) o'connor said he told her that there was a precedent for a community-owned franchise in the green bay packers like dudes just in hawaii just chilling they don't have we don't have cell phones we
0: can't get a hold of we don't even know where he is he could be anywhere Uh, Yeah. uh, Get me on the teletype quick. Uh, Yeah, that is it. It it would have been a disaster. Right. What year is this? He said 1990, 1990. Yeah, 1990. So this is before baseball teams are uh, really wildly valuable. This is when there was still some financial risk. In owning a team, if you're looking at highlights from 1990 at like Yankee Stadium, the stands are kind of empty. You know, the 80s and especially the 70s, like baseball was not a hot ticket. People have these rose-colored glasses about, oh, the old days when people really cared about baseball. No, man, attendance is through the roof now compared to then. And I just, I could see a city uh, like this bureaucratic machinery just really nickel and diming the Padres, not being interested in the fan experience. I could see it being a total disaster, uh not for in the least because you have someone like uh, what was his name greg <laughs> the john, the city manager john John John, john you know John just john, can't be bothered you know, George with John
1: Lockwood he does kind of sound like a creative character, you know
0: yeah so, so John's john got Lockwood. other stuff in his. Yeah, John's got other stuff in his plate, so he can't worry about, you know, who's going to play third. You know, you can't you can't worry about trading Fred McGriff right now. You got a you've got like a <laughs> parks budget to work on. Uh, I think it would have been a disaster. Uh, just See, it, it sounds cool, but it would have been a disaster. Exactly. See, it's rather interesting to me
1: that it happens in San Diego, right? Because San Diego, I don't it's not San Diego is like not one of the more radical cities in the United States is how I would put it. You know, Southern mm-hmm. California is a pretty conservative place um in most areas in San Diego though I, I i would describe it as like democratic now because most major cities are San Diego is is much less politically left than a city like Los Angeles or a city like New York and so it's it's really interesting that Joan Croc just kind of wanted to do this for the vibes you know like Joan Croc <laughs> the widow of one of the richest men one of the most capitalist men in american history was just like i like the padres I like the city of San Diego. I think that maybe the city of San Diego should just have it in like a charitable donation. And I think that it it really speaks to like how important baseball is to the like texture of America that this woman who amassed a fortune of billions alongside of her husband wants to do something that is like Viva la Revolucion, basically, (laughs) like let's nationalize this team. Something that, you know, Three decades later, Alex and I talk about all the time as the only thing that can save baseball in the long term is nationalizing it. And I don't know, it's, it's super fascinating to me, especially in comparison to the person who shut it down being the son of Walter O'Malley, who I think set the foundation for what baseball finance is now. And without him, you don't have these teams that you're talking about, Grant. Having these massive value, like the Dodgers relocating and seeing that they could dominate Los Angeles is the path for modern baseball teams being billion dollar entities. And I don't think I think that these are just two incredibly divergent paths. Of course, it's not a surprise that it didn't go to public ownership for sure, but I don't know. It's it's eminently fascinating to me.
0: Now I, I just want to talk about Occam's Razor here, and maybe I'm speaking out of school, but to me, the Occam's Razor for this is that one night, uh, 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 Joan Croc was Joan Croc, Joan, Croc, Joan Croc, yeah, Joan Croc was uh, visited by the ghosts of every cow slaughtered to make her fortune, and they told her, "Listen, you have to donate this team." to the city of San Diego. And it, that's Occam's razor. So did it happen? I don't know. That's for the historians to decide. But I say yes. It tracks, for sure. Yeah, it tracks. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing that kind of came up when
2: I was thinking about this, right, is that, um, you know, we talk a lot about um, sort of how uh, how pulled tight the curtain is uh, when it comes to baseball's finances, right? And would this sort of ad- have changed the public's, um, I don't know, insight into how a baseball team is run. Obviously, it's not literally owned by every single person in the city of San Diego. They're not getting the budget reports at the end of the year or anything like that. But I don't know, a- man. I get the budget reports from my public school. <laughs> well, yeah, right. So, so maybe. Um I and and all of a sudden, you know, the the Padres have a, a real sort of I vested interest in in actually making this team like viable and getting people to to come to the games. Notably, there is a major league baseball strike that takes place just 4 years later Wait, due to really? <laughs> yeah, this is crazy. Um <laughs> due to obviously I, I, a whole host of issues. Um but the the owners wanted to institute a salary cap and I wondered sort of if the players even had the sort of insight into the sort of revenue that's coming into baseball teams, if maybe that turns out a little bit differently because the owners feel like they have less ammo to work with, so to speak, right? There's, it's now all of a sudden 29 of them and one sort of rogue team over here who we don't really, who's a bit of a wild card. I, and my mind just kind of, the wheel started turning a, a little bit and uh, yeah, we
0: went some weird places in addition to that you would have one team whose uh, books would be open there wouldn't be you know the opaque books where it's like right. oh you got to trust us we need a seller account we're bleeding money here can I see your books uh, nope <laughs> you know you would have one team that would just here's our money we have to put this out there by law and yeah. then does that give the players association more leverage I think it would have to I think it would have to give them just tremendous leverage. So maybe there's not even a strike. Maybe the World Series happens and uh, maybe it's the Mariners in seven. The baseball strike is unfolding on C-SPAN.
1: You know, it's just like senators (laughs) being like, give me the books. We must see the books. This is for the public good. Like San Diego City Council people. Um, An interesting question is, so if it does go the way of public ownership and a couple other teams go the same way. You know, say we say we we clone Joan Crock. You know, she gets in the ear of all of the the owners, and she's like, "Here's why this is good. Here's why giving this these incredibly valuable assets away for free is really good." Um, I am fascinated to see like what the role of baseball commissioner becomes in the past thirty years, if that's the case, because you know what we used to think of baseball commissioner as like the steward of baseball, the steward impartial. of impartial, bas- right? The steward of Major League Baseball who is here to make the tough decisions that keep our game strong and keep our game going. And now we know everybody hates Rob Manfred. Everybody hated Bud Selig. We know that it's just this person is a 4 hire lawyer for the owners to make them the most money possible and represent their best interests. Now, if like five teams are publicly owned or say the the public ownership is sweeping the nation and all the teams are publicly owned, I feel like the, the commissioner is like um, a democratically elected position by fans, probably, which <laughs> has fascinating consequences, right? Because what is the, what can the role of that job actually be what the PR told us the role of that job was for? And how does that free up space for that person to make better decisions for the game, to make the game more accessible, to do more good in the wider baseball world that Major League Baseball has not done because they've been so distracted by making the owner's money hand over fist. I think that's a really fascinating outcome. I, all of that is basically just to say, we just don't have to deal with Rob Manfred. In this hypothetical <laughs> world, no Manfred. You were, you no were Rob looking Manfred. for a way to get there, I think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think about who it would be. Um, it would be... Like, who would be quasi-likable who could do this role? I mean... Like, if you want to go back there, remember they were talking about uh, George W. Bush being commissioner, Jesus um, Christ. which, you know, like uh, at least as a public face, uh, maybe he's not as uh, dangerous or as uh, harmful um, not to. But uh, while I'm on that so wait, track, so
1: wait, wait, hold on. What you're saying is George W. Bush becomes baseball commissioner instead of becoming president. So if Joan Croc is allowed to give the Padres to the city of San Diego, there's no
0: Iraq war. That's what you're saying, Grant that's I'm, I'm saying that uh, carbon emissions are way down i think we <laughs> the money that would have gone into the iraq war infrastructure is uh, uh now education is uh better right. and people aren't uh, falling for uh whackadoodle conspiracy theories and t- while we're on this subject which is uh i i just remembered your hypothetical your what if reminded me of the what if and i'm glad i didn't do it cuz it kind of would have stepped on yours uh, i'll read the quote Uh, In February 11th, 1985, UPI sports editor Milton Richmond had a story headlined with Flutie in tow. Trump looks to get into baseball and Trump's bid to buy the twins had fallen through. So the team that interests him now is the San Francisco giants. So this is 1985. Trump wants to buy the twins. He's shot down. Now he's wanting to to buy the giants. What happens then? Like, you know, do the giants are the giants moved to New York? because that's a possibility. Uh he promised that he wouldn't, you know, when would he break a promise or lie to us? I, that seems that seems weird. Um but yeah, like what happens is he president probably not. Like, you know, that's the sliding doors thing. It's it takes a million dominoes to get someone in the Oval Office. Uh that fascinates me, but I digress. Back to back to McDonald's.
2: Not at all. This this whole podcast <laughs> is a digression. I think that's the point of it. <laughs> I just got to say it's big time loser energy that he failed to buy the
1: Twins, and so he pivoted to a much more historic franchise than the Giants. Like, why didn't you just want to buy the Giants to
0: begin with? Yeah, well, the Giants at that point uh, were a joke. They were the Candlestick Era Giants. They yeah, tried to move whole to thing Toronto is in the Restoring 70s. glory,
1: come on! Like, why couldn't he bring that to the Giants?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, my my honest reaction to I think this hypothetical is. The Padres don't exist by the turn yes. of the century. That's that like, was my I think final That's, that's actually yeah. what happens, right? Is the league does whatever they can to torpedo that? You know, it's really, it's like anytime a left wing leader is or, or a remotely left wing leader is elected in any other country, the U.S. like drops in and is like, oh, sorry, like we'll get it. we're gonna get one of our buddies in here.
1: <laughs> like they would have done that to. That's the not padres. true, Alex. The CIA Twitter account told me that that has never happened. Shit. Okay.
0: All right. Yeah, uh, Indonesia just—they did all that on their own. Like, also, uh, wait—I
1: forgot my my other yeah, job it's... as the co-host of the CIA podcast.
0: Um, <laughs> I'm supposed to tell you that that's never happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think you're right. I think uh, it's the Padres wouldn't exist. It would be how to get them not to exist. Uh, I don't know. Ask the Expos. You know well, what I mean? Like, right, it, yeah. <laughs> there yeah. would have been a way.
1: I, I mean, I think that there's no rule in Major League Baseball's governing charter that says that they can't just get rid of teams if the rest of the owners vote to get rid of the teams. Mm -hmm. So even if the Padres are owned by the city of San Diego, if all 29 other owners are like, all right, we're going to have a 29-team league, you know, like that—that's what they would do. Scheduling concerns, be damned. Or they would just add an expansion team and get rid of the Padres. And then you have a Major League Baseball team in San Diego that has nobody to play. You know, so they're just—they go from Major League team to indie team overnight. I think Alex, you're probably—you're probably exactly right. I don't even think it takes that long. Like it was, probably doesn't even take till 2000.
0: Yeah, maybe right away. Like donated, and then it's right. like uh, emergency, emergency vote. Uh, woo, we're dissolving you. Sorry about that. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? Sue. <laughs> Uh, and
1: then Fernando Tatis never falls off a motorbike? I don't really
2: know. <laughs> right. And and yeah, and then the, the Mets are signing Fernando Tatis Jr. to an extension at this point in time, right?
0: Well, this is like where the sliding doors, I mean, you want to go... Deep into uh, the butterfly effect, Uh, Fernando Tatis Sr. doesn't meet Mrs. Fernando Tatis Sr. He meets someone else because he's traded because the Padres weren't in existence. And now he's on a different team other than the Cardinals because of X, Y, and Z. And we don't have a Fernando Tatis Jr. We have like a Sparky Tatis and he's a terrible baseball player, but (laughs) he's he's, definitely... <laughs> he's he, he's a terrible baseball player, but you know he doesn't do any of that funny stuff. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we definitely don't get the two grand slams in the same inning, right? Like that, <laughs> right? <laughs> that definitely doesn't happen because that pitching matchup and that those weather conditions are not set set up for Fernando Tatis Senior. to do that. <laughs> um, what else? What else should we say, Alex? What else should we say about John Croc and and national ownership and <sighs> McDonald's? I like their French fries, you know, thanks Joan Crock, for trying, I guess. Yeah, Yeah. this would have been, this would have been win
2: number
0: two. (laughs) The McDonald's fries are like three bucks now for a medium fry. Like they figured out, like that is the thing, you know, even if I have four most of the food on the menu, it's like, well, I got to have some of those fries. So, um, okay. You know,
1: this is the thing. You're not supposed to tell me how expensive they are while I'm sober, because the only other time I have, (laughs) the only other time I ever have McDonald's fries is when I'm not looking at the price, Grant. (laughs) It's
0: just, it's like three bucks. You know, it's worth it. Don't tell that. Cut that. Cut that.
2: (laughs) Right. No free ads for literally McDonald's. (laughs) (laughs) Why
1: do you? Okay. My final question: Why do you think she tried to do this? Do you think it's just that she couldn't think of a? a more tasteful way to pass along the Padres and she didn't want to run them anymore. Because she, she eventually... So what actually happened, I should say, is that she eventually sold the team for $75 million to a 15-member group that included 11 different San Diego investors. So instead of giving the team to the city, she gave them to the 11 richest people in San Diego, which is, of course, as these things go. Which included um, future Red Sox owner Tom Werner. I should yes. Know exactly. good uh, another good guy I've done a lot for the sport. Um so I mean it's hilarious that it went from being given to the city for free to to being given to this huge ownership group that is like a pox on the sport that we see league wide now where you have all of these small stake owners who all think that they should have a say in the team and none of them actually want to spend and so you can't actually ever compel ownership to go above and beyond the luxury tax because there are all these people in the room saying why would we do that this is just an investment for us right so i i don't know i mean of course unless the spirit of joan crock compels you and you can actually see her thoughts we don't know why she would try to do this but it just seems like such an aberration in baseball history like i don't think i know of any other teams that were just trying to be given away to the city
2: I I mean, it was an aberration in baseball, but not for Joan Crock, right, who at this point had inherited um, her late husband's fortune um, to the tune of billions of dollars, right? And when she passed away, she basically gave it all away, right? She gave you know, f- uh, $1.5 to the Salvation Army, right? And then tens of millions to, like, hospitals she and didn't
0: universities. didn't know that they're not
1: that efficient with their, <laughs> with their charity funds these days. And <laughs> should yeah, right, exactly. not read those
0: think pieces yet. <laughs> What's but, like, wild is <laughs> that the lawyer actually put, like, one quarter at a time into, like, the ringing <laughs> bin. And it took forever. But, you know, that's a lesser-known story.
2: <laughs> but, like, she was, she was getting rid of all of it, right? So it kind of actually makes perfect sense if she was someone who was kind of in that headspace of like the city means a lot to me we should use our position as rich people to kind of give back to the city that that you know gave us this why why not yeah i guess it just takes a
1: perfect storm okay my final question how do both of our what-ifs merge if randy johnson is drafted by the braves and joan crock donates the padres
0: what is different in the world let me le- let me levitate for a second. Uh I've got Randy Johnson as the mayor of San Diego at one point, <laughs> who springboards to the governorship uh in an election against Schwarzenegger. Right. Um he's very tall. Uh, People like tall politicians. Yeah, you know, suck at DeSantis. Like it's gonna be uh <laughs> tall, tall politicians <laughs> who are gonna get all the votes. Yeah, no, I don't know. Uh I, I I don't know how would you guys merge that because I, I I'm I'm at a loss. It's a, it's a I mean it's a
2: really tough right. It's already hard enough coming up with one hypothetical <laughs> alternate universe. You know I mean I'm th- we were talking about the strike right. I mean there's yeah. no let's say there's no strike because the the owners don't necessarily have the leverage that they they might have otherwise right. And Randy Johnson is a brave. So the Expos are not making. That actually, he was off the expos at that time, so I don't even think yeah. it matters. Um, but you know, uh, you don't have the dip in sort of um, interest, uh, you know, that that occurs as a result of this strike, which leads to you know all, leads into this sort of steroid era of baseball, mm. right? Maybe if Randy Johnson never joins the the Mariners, Alex Rodriguez, uh, they, they they pick a pitcher. Instead of a <laughs> instead of a young upstart shortstop at a at a high school, right, and all of yeah. a sudden Alex Rodriguez is a a New York Tiger Met. and no, a New York, New York Met. Met. Yeah, come on, and we don't know where he's <laughs> going to go. He's going to the Mets. Haven't we learned that lesson today? Well, and the commissioner feels compelled to crack down on steroids because hmm. interest in baseball isn't going anywhere. There's nothing threatening it, and all of a sudden Alex Rodriguez is a, a utility player. That's the best I can come up with.
1: See, I think what happens is that the Padres are stricken from the league, you know, as, as we discussed. Like, the owners wouldn't mm-hmm. stand for this. They send the Padres at, to The Hague or whatever. And because of that, because there's one fewer team and the scheduling is all a total mess or they had to add an expansion team and they pick off these players from all these other teams, we get to call the Braves World Series in the 1990s Mickey Mouse Championships because it was some, <laughs> because it was some shenanigans <laughs> happening beforehand in 1990 before the Braves got to win. It's all Mickey Mouse. And I like that. I like that hypothetical.
0: That's good. That's good.
1: Um, Grant Brisby, where can people find your
0: wonderful work? Uh, they can find it at The Athletic. Uh, I'm on Twitter less these days. So just go to The Athletic, subscribe promo code Grant. No, I don't know. I don't have a promo code. Um, <laughs> so yeah, please do that. Before I go, I just have one more what if, and I'm. we don't need to do an entire segment on it. I just need to get it off my brain. Okay. Um, do it. In 1960. 1960- Three or so, uh, there is a producer by the name of Lee Mendelson who produces a documentary on Willie Mays. And this Giants fan, this big time Giants fan was really impressed uh, with this Willie Mays documentary. So he reached out to the producer and says, you know, I've been thinking about a TV show. That man was Charles Schultz. And the production that they did together was a Charlie Brown Christmas. So what if Charles Schultz isn't paying attention to Willie Mays or the Giants? We don't get a Charlie Brown Christmas, which might be the finest thing this country has ever produced, other than Willie Mays. See,
1: yeah, we don't have this Linus is, as dancing. We this don't is the have
0: most
2: terrifying hypothetical we've ever had. Saddest discussed little today. tree right. that's
1: so beautiful and wonderful and speaks to the soul of this wonderful, this wonderful world. Wow. Yes. This,
2: okay, this is why we have you.
1: This is why we invited you, Grant. Like the, <laughs> you, you gave us some some bonus content just for free. Bonus right content. here in the outro.
0: Yeah. Right. No, it's um, not for free. I'll send you the bill. voice is coming no but thanks for having me on uh athletic uh on the Giants page just to find a paywall (laughs) thanks so much grant all right you got it thanks so much for having me
2: okay
1: thank you to grant what a delight what a yeah. delight. Bring it on Grant Brisby. You know, we've been reading Grant Brisby for a minute.
2: How far the podcast has come. It feels like a long time coming. That's for sure. Long overdue. Um, I felt like we were just getting started too, you know? He, he, right. he, he dropped that little Charlie Brown tidbit in at the end. And I was like, well, now there's a thread I really want to pull at here. Yeah. This is, you're, we're talking about impacts on the broader culture writ large.
1: Right. Yeah. Like, here's a what if for you, movie related. What if Field of Dreams was a good script? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a good the top movie. Rope, like, like, it's important. It's important to the baseball culture. I understand it. I like it. You know, like, it was important to me as a kid. I was shown it at a young age. But, like, what if
2: the writing was not total garbage? <laughs> I think, honestly, it probably doesn't get the love it deserves because there are some people who are like, "Ah, there's too much going on here. It's too high concept. The corniness is a feature, not a bug. Exactly. Exactly. Um, The corniness. I didn't even
1: (laughs) 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 Oh, man. Accidental punning time. That means it's time to wrap this thing up. Thank you again to Grant. Thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, We... Are recording this ahead of time so we don't know who is a new patron at this point but we thank you either or (laughs) who else has signed already that could actually be on the mets i mean aaron judge already did his introductory press conference and he has the captain the captaincy now so it would seem unlikely that they could bring him in but i guess never say never right never say never
2: i would have said carlos correa is never leaving the giants but
1: alex is there anything else that you want to leave the listeners with as we approach the end of the year we have a we have I mean, we have a pod scheduled for next week too. We're not gonna take any time off. We have the we have the part two of this what if's series, but is there anything that you want to get off your chest as we as we close out 2022? An important year for the baseball world and an important year for the Tipping Pitches podcast?
2: Honestly, no. I if if anyone has John Heyman's number, he's not responding to us. So please let us know about that. Because we're still doing our best to get him on probably at this point happening in the new year um, well you know who why. has John Heyman's number is Scott Boris <laughs> man you ain't that the truth <laughs> <laughs> you
1: know who has no, Scott I, Boris's number I, fucking Steve Cohen that's yeah. mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Uh no I want to say thank you to all of you guys listening um, I'm sure we'll say it again next week and probably in most of the episodes coming down the road because that's just kind of how we roll but as the year comes to an end, we do want to thank you guys for for making it so successful because um, I, this is one of the more fun years I've had watching baseball in a while, and and a lot of it is is thanks to the little community that y'all have that y'all have created. Um, right. So and, and because the Astros won the World Series, like that was and huge because for you. The, the Astros won the World Series. That was big. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah, really fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry for being a dick while you're trying to be sincere. <laughs> You're right. We had so much fun, um, and we hope to make 2023 even better from a podcast perspective, from a community perspective, from a rooting for the New York Mets perspective. From a sending out
2: the newsletter on time
1: perspective. Hey, (laughs) Wow, wow. It's real roasting hours. I see. (laughs) We did good for a while on that front, but you know, it gets to the end of the year. you got other responsibilities. Life gets in the way. Life gets in the way. Go to fucking Italy. Like, I get it. We get it. So now it's because I went to Italy. The truth comes out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) What was your excuse? (laughs) Thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, We will be back next week.